Good morning, the listeners, and welcome to the Riddles in the Dark, the podcast, the number one, uh, 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 I can't do it, the number one <laughs> the Tolkien <laughs> podcast, <clears throat> bringing you the, the best speculation and discussion about The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five, The Armies, the movie... <laughs> The movie that we're all waiting with bated breath, or we were waiting with bated breath to find out what it would be called, and then we were, and then our, we were very, very disappointed, or at least annoyed by the number of definite articles. <laughs> uh, I'm your co-host, the Dave, the Kale, and with me, as always, are the Tolkien, the Professor, the Corey, the Olson, and the Trish, the Lambert. Excellent. Yeah, not that not that we're retaining any bitterness or or <laughs> intending any satire of any particular film titles <laughs> in our extraneous right. use of definite articles. Yep. Uh, we're, uh, hey, yeah, we're, we're excited to get started today. We're talking about uh, Bilbo. You know, it is the Hobbit after all, and there's the podcast. Remember, Corey, a couple years ago when we were five or six episodes into this, and and we were getting feedback about, hey, are you ever going to talk about the Hobbit? You know how that's that's called. right, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think yeah. we broke our own record because this is episode eight, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Time to talk about Bilbo. So, so you know, uh, we've yeah. been we've been working through you know semi kind of chronologically through the major book events, and and we've now finally gotten to sort of the main Bilbo event, really the, um the sort of uh i mean what in the book i think is really you know the climax of his uh of his participation in the story and that is the thief in the night um uh chapter so we're going to get around to the arkenstone but where i want to start off is i want to start off with um bilbo's characterization and how he is going to be how jackson is going to be treating him Firstly, just thinking back to how he was in the books. Um, in the books, one of the things that, that I find really striking about Bilbo is the way that we get the sort of the separation early on. It's, it's happening very emphatically in Lake Town, um, while the dwarves are getting all ecstatic and carried away with their confidence and optimism in Lake Town, uh, along with the rest of the people of Lake Town, Bilbo is getting not only getting a head cold, but he's also getting, uh, you know, sort of more and more depressed and uh, and uh, uh, and low spirited. Then we see them shift around again. You know, they 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 they're still separate, but they cross as they get up to the lonely mountain and are searching and not finding for the secret door. The dwarves are all getting all downcast and and uh, and discouraged. But Bilbo gets more and more upbeat and not exactly confident. Um, but at least still sort of remaining hopeful. And he's the one who's getting out the map and, you know, pouring over the moon letters and, uh, and, and thinking about how to find him. And, and it's, of course, his persistence that leads to their discovery of, uh, of the secret entrance. So we see him already kind of out of step with the rest of the dwarves. And that really continues. You think about what happens when they get down into Smaug's horde and you have um, first, again, him differentiated from the rest of the dwarves, um, somewhat surprisingly, by his courage. He's the only one who dares to go out into the horde when all the dwarves are hiding up in the tunnel and won't come down and join him. Um, but he is willing to go out. And then once they do, they get all carried away and they're, you know, uh, playing with the treasure and, uh, and uh, you know, looking at stuff and stuffing their pockets with gems and uh, dressing themselves up in armor and all these things. And uh, Bilbo, 
is the one who keeps his head, and he's the one who tells Thorin, look, okay, you know, this is all fun and everything, but we're wasting time, and this armor isn't going to do us any good if Smaug comes back, so we need to get out of here. So again, Bilbo is the one not only who is showing leadership, but he is also never really in sync with the dwarves. And this, of course, this lack of syncitude is what comes to a head with Bilbo um, when he is when he delivers the Arkenstone uh, to Bard, as he sees the stalemate at the mountain, you know, the siege of the mountain progressing. And he begins to be more and more disapproving of Thorin's attitude. He believes quite clearly that Bard's claims are obviously just, and he assumes that Thorin is going to grant the justice of them right away, is surprised when Thorin doesn't. Um, now, as I've argued before, as I was arguing in the previous episode, I think the book is pretty clear about the fact that Thorin has some justification, especially where the Elven King is concerned, um, of being... Uh, being kind of dubious that that what what you know the the sort of the bad blood that arises there at the gates of the lonely mountain is certainly not a hundred percent on Thorin. Um, Bard is clearly at least partially was you know Bard and the Elven King are at least uh, uh, partially responsible for this clearly. Um, but again, it's Bilbo who is. Uh, getting increasingly uncomfortable with the warlike talk of the dwarves. He's really uncomfortable when they sing that, you know, the sort of the redux version of the, um, you know, of the Far of the Misty Mountains cold song, the, the, the warlike one that makes him, that makes him uncomfortable. Um, and this is, it's ultimately this, this fact that he feels that he is seeing clearly and Thorne is not seeing clearly. Um, that leads him to go, to deliver the Arkenstone. Um, and the thing that I would, would want to emphasize there, again, in thinking about Bilbo's character and his motivations and what he's feeling and thinking and what is separating him, f him from the dwarves, in my mind, one of the most interesting things about the Thief in the Night um, uh, uh, chapter is the moment when he, after he delivers the Arkenstone to Bard, and he's he's you know, says that he's planning to go back and the Elven King says, you know, you really might want to stay. Um, and Bilbo won't hear of it. You know, so, you know he, he doesn't want to abandon his friends. He's still committed to them. He does not see what he's doing as betraying them at all. This is not, it seems to be not a question of I'm turning against them, but I think I'm justified in doing so. It's not that. It's not even... I'm turning against my friends and I have created a sort of rationalization to convince me that I'm not. Um, it, it, it is clear in his own mind that what he has done, though he knows it is something that Thorin is obviously going to disapprove of, he seems to believe very firmly that he has not turned against his friends. He has not abandoned them. Uh, and he has not... Um, uh, he's not been... Um, uh, he, he's not he's not really being unfaithful to them and is willing to go back even knowing Thorne is going to be upset. I mean, there's there's an element, I think, even of self-sacrifice in Bilbo's return that he's willing to accept whatever, you know, recognizing that there's likely to be negative consequences and yet willing to accept the negative consequences if indeed negative consequences there are. But in his mind, clearly what he's doing is uh, uh, is what is 
in everybody's best interest, including the dwarves. Remember, and I've mentioned this before, in the earlier drafts, the first time we ever see this motif, that is the motif of Bilbo going out and parleying with the enemy who is besieging them, meaning the dwarves and humans, um, and offering them the Arkenstone. The context of that idea, when Tolkien first had it, was back when the Elven King was being way more aggressive and more of a jerk than he came to be in later revisions, when the Elven King is fully intending, is attacking, is, comes to the mountain believing that the dwarves are still there, and upon finding them there, fully intends to murder them all. Uh, his plan is to kill all the dwarves and, to, and take the treasure for himself. And what Bilbo is doing is a hostage negotiation, essentially, where he's going out and he says, I will give you the Arkenstone if you promise not to kill my friends. So Bilbo is acting heroically to save the lives of his friends. That's the initial concept. Now, again, it shifts. That's not the concept as we get it in the published book. But that's, in Tolkien's story, that's kind of the root of it. And I think that we can still see some remnant of that motivation in Bilbo. He's trying to, to prevent trouble for all concerned, as he says. By which he mean, and that seems to be a pretty understated way of saying, I think that battle is going to break out and lots of people on both sides are going to die. And that doesn't need to happen. And in, so in particular, it's not just, Thorin, I'm going to do what's right despite you. It's not even, Thorin, I'm going to, to do, you know, you need help, right? So I'm staging an intervention and I'm going to do uh, you know, for you, what you are unable to do for yourself. It's not even that. Um, in a, you know, beyond that, there's a level of, I am saving your lives. I know you're going to be mad at me for doing this, but the result of this is going to be, you guys are all going to survive because there won't be a battle. Um, or at least that's what he's trying to do. Um, so that element of, of, of self-sacrifice, I mean, he's explicitly sacrificing his own share in the treasure, um, but even potentially willing to, 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 risk danger to his own person by putting himself back in Thorin's power, knowing how irrational Thorin is about the Arkenstone now. Um, but nevertheless, the result of his action is still going to be to save the lives of his friends, not quite as directly as before, but that element, I think, is still there. Um, these are the... Uh, so, so, and that, as I say, that's the final, the final fruit of the way in which Bilbo is out of step with the dwarves, the way in which his perspective is different and his outlook is very different, and therefore his choices are very different. And what we see is, in the end, Bilbo is the only one, and, and I mean only one, including Bard and the Elven King and everybody else, who seems to remain completely free of the dragon sickness, who makes that choice to, um, to act in a way which is really in all ways opposite to all to everything associated with dragon sickness, both greed for wealth and selfishness, and uh, you know the the uh, the the desire to sort of ex exploit others and turn against others. All of those things, um, he is acting in the opposite spirit to all, to, to all of those things um, in his action of surrendering the Arkenstone. Um, so my question, therefore, as we start off thinking about the film, is how much of this are we going to see? We, we have had Bilbo being kind of out of step from the dwarves from the beginning in the films as well. Part of that is simply just that he's different and uncomfortable and inexperienced and um, you know doesn't quite fit in in all of these other ways. His outlook and attitude is not, has been not the same as theirs from the beginning. Um, 
that didn't seem to be uh, my 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 reading of this in the desolation of Smaug is that they did not really um, they did not really exploit this particular concept I think in the film it seems to me that the general trajectory of Bilbo's character as far as his relationship with the dwarves and his sort of you know likeness of mind and attitude and outlook with the dwarves he's been getting closer and closer to them as the as the first two films have gone on until I mean I feel like before they get into the Lonely Mountain mostly he's pretty much in step with them. I don't think we, we, we're getting this differentiation of outlook between Bilbo and the dwarves. The only thing that I can think of that really seems to indicate that prior to the entrance of the Lonely Mountain is that moment where he stops and says, okay, we wait for Gandalf now, right? Right? We're supposed to wait for Gandalf, and Thorin says no. Um, but other than that, it seems... I mean, and we, we you know, they did try to recreate um, with the, the moonlight and, you know, on the keyhole and the entrance to the secret door that way, they did, uh, the filmmakers clearly did go out of their way to try to still essentially credit Bilbo with the um, finding of the secret door. You know, they, they, they clearly made, you know, if not for Bilbo, they wouldn't have found the secret door, which I think clearly is an element in the book. Um, and they went pretty far out of their way to, to preserve that element um, mm -hmm. in the film. But again, I didn't see a, a real difference in attitude or outlook from the rest of the dwarves here. No, in fact, um, he's he was the he was like the more optimistic guy. He was the guy that was like, "No, don't give up." Right, right. And again, that's that picks up on stuff from the book because again, he you know when they're when they're hunting, um, I, I thought that that was interesting because of course the way I feel that the dwarves in the book, um, on the threshold, you know, on the doorstep are at their most ridiculous. I think that the, the moment when the dwarves are most cartoonishly absurd is when they're like all grumbling and wanting to give up on the doorstep. Um, and I was kind of wondering, what are they going to do with that? I mean, that clearly they're not going to have the dwarves, you know, just sitting around and grumbling and being useless um, and comical in the way that they are in the book, nor are they going to have them just huddling outside and not daring to go into the mountain. And I actually think that that change that they, that they made in the film, instead of having the door open and Thorin say, well, Bilbo, it is now time for our burglar to earn his reward. Uh, you know, it's time for you to go down and us, for us to stay safely up here. Um, that worked well in the book, and it was very funny in the book, and, and, and it works importantly to the development and emphasis on Bilbo's character in the book, and we get his, you know, the, the, the sort of the third turning point in his career there, you know, that third moment of crisis which comes up. All that stuff worked really well in the book, and they sacrificed that in the film, but I th actually think that they gained something important in the film that isn't there, in, that is not conveyed at that moment in the book, and that is that moment when uh, when Thorin and Balin get all misty-eyed when they go back into the mountain, you know, that sense of, like, the return home, you know, the the return home against all hope, uh, you know, against all fears, you know, that, like, you know, you've, you've, you thought it would never happen, but you've actually been able to, 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 to come back, and you feared you'd never see it again, and now, you know, you've come home. I thought that that element worked really well, that, 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 that movement, that moment brought tears to my eyes, both, you know, each time I saw the film. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought they really gained something by that. What do we think about Bilbo, how they're going to handle Bilbo in this regard? Um, 
is he going to, are we going to get not just tension in the sense of like Thorin is overreacting and drawing swords on Bilbo kind of tension like we got in film two, but of Bilbo having a fundamentally different point of view and looking at the whole thing. Again, especially the Siege of the Lonely Mountain. I mean, we've been talking about that standoff from several different perspectives over the last couple weeks. What do we think Bilbo's point of view on the Siege of the Lonely Mountain is going to be in the film? You're right. They've given us they haven't given us a whole lot of of um information to go off of because mm-hmm. uh, they've been yeah. so busy with um uh, running around uh, playing hide and seek with uh smog that yeah, yeah that's a good i hadn't even really thought much about that but we really we really don't know where things stand maybe we had that we had that one point where um we had the one point where where thorn impedes bilbo from walking using his sword right which right. sort of started hinting at some some distrust um, uh, and conflict, but but then immediately we go into oh crap, there's a dragon. Uh, never mind. Right, right, right. Yeah. Then they're all working together, you yeah. know, in the understandable crisis of the, the dragon roaming around trying to kill them. Right. Kind of. Um, you know, it kind of makes you wonder if if um. Kind of makes you wonder if if uh, if they if they come back and there is immediately a lot of conflict um, that that if it's not going to come as a bit of a sort of an abrupt surprise to the to the viewers, I I, right. I guess I guess what we can anticipate is that the very first thing we're going to see happen with them is uh, Bilbo saying you know the dwarves saying like oh all right we got rid of Smog good job guys right. and and Bilbo's right. gonna be like uh, he's going off to burn. Um, to, he's going off to burn Lake yes. Town. Come on, we we need yes. to help, or we need to do something. And and Thorin's going to say, "Nope, not our business, not our problem." Yes, yes, exactly. That I think would be a really interesting because that could be um, a closely parallel kind of situation with Bard's claims at the gate, right? Where Bilbo think, assumes that Thorin is going to at once recognize the justice in, in 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 Bard's claims. So so too in the film. Bilbo might be assuming at once that the rest of the dwarves are going to be like, oh, yeah, let's go down and help the people of Lake Town. Obviously, that's what that, that's what we're doing now, right? And to be shocked to find Thorin saying, you know, no, we kicked the dragon out. Here we are. Yeah. That yeah. I could definitely see. Yeah, so maybe they'll maybe what they'll do is they will they'll essentially take the kinds of the kind of debate that uh, Thorin has with Bard in the book and instead uh, have him have the, a, a debate of that sort. Uh, rehearse um, or anticipate that debate with Bilbo right at the right. start of the movie. Right. Now, but of it course, seems almost Yana necessary, has pointed right? out, like it seems yeah. like it seems like they have to do something like that to lay some groundwork for dissent. Right, right. Though Yana has pointed out that, um, of course, with Feely and Keeley in Lake Town, Thorne's unlikely to say that it's not yeah, their problem yeah. at all. Well, I don't. You true. know, I, I mean, maybe we're gonna get sort of the Maybe we're gonna get the like the cold, the cold, the kind of that cold Thorn Oakenshield response that he had when he left them behind. Maybe he's gonna say like, "Well, you know, you know, like they made their choices." Or um, we will uh, mourn for them. Yeah, but yeah. Remember, yeah, remember he has that whole thing like, "I'm not gonna sacrifice this quest for 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 one door for one person." Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you could. It could simply be the next logical step in that, especially since, um, as uh, and he's you know, kind of, as, as, he's as kind of right in a sense. 
Exactly. And as Gerald is pointing out here, even with fast travel, it would the issue would not be let's go save people in Lake Town, but let's go help the survivors of Lake Town. <laughs> yes, yeah. um, let's show he up. could conceivably right. say like, well, you know, it's sad, um, but they're, you know, they're almost certainly dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so like we will mourn them and, you know. By, by all by all measures of common sense, a, 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 a if they left to go down to Lake Town at this point, it would be sort of a a, a pointless you know um, suicidal heroic gesture. It would be a well uh, you know we we caused this. We sent the dragon down there. There's probably nothing we can do. Probably they're all going to be dead by the time we got there. Probably when we get there, we're just going to die anyway. But we have to do it because it's the right thing to do because we we sent the dragon down there. But there's really no no but, reason to believe that they could actually accomplish anything. So right. You, you but know, see, so, that's where. So you like the yeah, utilitarian say... response might be, oh, you know, hey, like somebody ought to survive right. out of all this, right? <laughs> right. Right, right. Um, yeah, there's. Um, that's exactly what I'm. Um, what I'm thinking, though. I, it seems to me that the crux of the disagreement would be over we caused this, right? Yeah. We're, we do get that from Bilbo in the last line of the film, right? What have we done? He is clearly viewing them as responsible for that. That's where I could see, even if Thorin is upset about Fiwi and Kiwi or worried about them, or wanting to go hunt for them, or, or help them, or something, even if he does that, I can see sort of the disagreement arising over that question of their responsibility. Um, um, you know, do they, um, who who is, uh, uh, you know, basically Bilbo saying, we've got to do something, we've got to go help the people of Lake Town, we, you know, the... the we chased the dragon down there and have Thorin say, no, you know, this isn't our, that, that's, you know, we're not responsible to the people of Lake Town, even if he's wanting to go hunt Fiwi and, you know, for Fiwi and Kiwi and the rest of them. Right. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, th that acceptance of responsibility, I think could be, could be something like, you know, sort of a wedge between the two of their outlooks there. Yeah, I, th I think I think you're right. I think that will be sort of that will be the starting place for it. It won't even necessarily be over what they should do about it, because maybe Bilbo will recognize it's hopeless too. But it certainly will be at least about accepting responsibility. It'll, it'll even be just about perspective. Right. Um, right. Right. Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're right. I think some kind of on-screen debate over that sort of issue seems seems like seems not only highly likely, but seems like that would probably be sort of the the foundation of of some dissent and disagreement. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Halstein asks, uh, you know, on, on the issue of like not sacrificing the quest for the sake of Fiwi and Kiwi. I uh, says, you know, this is you know not the Tolkien view on ends and means. No, that's actually one of the things I was really interested in in the Desolation of Smaug. I thought that that was a really fascinating choice on their part to depict um, uh, uh, to depict the um, uh, the um, the development of Thorin's obsession mm -hmm. um, because you're absolutely right. Somebody who says, well, you know, we can't, we, we have to look at the big picture and it's not really practical for us to delay everything for the sake of one person. Um, you know, we, we can't, we, we have to keep our eyes on the prize and, you know, not get distracted by things like that. That's exactly not the way 
that good Tolkien characters think. That is like the opposite of Aragorn's thinking at Parthgalan, for instance, when he decides to go after, you know, when his heart speaks clearly to him at last, um, what it says to him is throw everything else aside and go after Merry and Pippin. Right. Because they need help. They, you know, they cannot abandon Merry and Pippin to torment and death. Um, and, and generally, when Tolkien characters make decisions on that kind of basis, they turn out to be the right decisions. Uh, and of course, you know, the whole, the, the Rohirrim would never have come to the assistance of Gondor had Aragorn not done that, had he not pursued after um, Merry and Pippin. So, um, but, but, but he, but he, but it wasn't, he didn't make his decision based on it, on that, on that sort of calculation. He did it because exactly. he felt it was the right thing to do. Yeah. 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 No, you're you're right. Um, you're right, though. Um, that is a that's the the uh, that is sort of a signal that a character is going off in the wrong direction when they start making those sorts of decisions. So so this right. is um, this is we we've seen things like this before, right? Feanor burning the ships. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. It's it's um, so so I, that's why I thought it was such an interesting choice when they when they had that scene between Feely and Thorin. Um, in the desolation of Smaug, because um, there was, I, I thought that was a really good way to mark and 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 complicated. It's not just like I'm all obsessed with the Arkenstone, and it's not just I'm you know losing my head for the treasure like my grandfather Thor did. Um, we see him still focused on what he's doing. You know, he's not totally gone away. He remains the person that he was, but we begin to see the stuff which was already a red flag back in the beginning of film one. You know, his obsession with vengeance and, uh, and you know, all, all these other things which were totally understandable, but we're beginning to see the, you know, the evil fruit that they are bearing as he gets closer into this. I thought that that was a really great way uh, for them to communicate that. So I will be interesting to, interested to see if we do basically see the next stages of that. Um, so I could, you know, we could conceivably see him say, basically, you know, even sort of writing them off, uh, uh, you know, as dead. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how extreme it'll get, but. Right. Um, but that, but I, I do think that that's a really, that that's a really important issue. Um, so what else? What else going on? Yeah, what else do we see? Do we see? Are, are there other things? Thinking about just uh, sidetracking for a, a brief second. What other signs would we see in Thorin? We've already seen him again with the with the confrontation with the sword with Bilbo. Um, which again, just to to say for the record, since we're talking about you know Thorin doing bad things here, the way that they depicted that in the film was so much more understandable than the way it was it came across in the trailers. You know, when we first saw those images in the trailers of him holding a sword against Bilbo's chest, it looked very very bad. Right. But the fact is, Bilbo, like it was, I thought actually rather understandable in the film. Bilbo was being so squirrely in that, in that moment. You know, he kept asking, did you find the Arkenstone? And Bilbo just keeps not answering. It's like perfectly obvious that he's hiding something. Yeah. Um, if I were Thorin, I'd be getting a little impatient too. Um, yeah. So, you know, I actually, I thought that that was kind of interesting, the way in which they made that seem like not crazy on Thorin's part. Um, oh, Kate has a really good uh, question: Are we give, 
are we going to see the gifting of the mithril coat? This is, of course, when the gifting of the mithril coat happens in the book. Um, are we going to see it here, or, or do we think they're going to shift it to, you know, at the end, after the battle? Uh, because then it can't play any role in the battle, of course. Right. But it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't really necessarily have a really critical role in the battle anyway. Well, in the book it doesn't, because Bilbo doesn't play any role in the battle. But yeah, do you that's really true. think Bilbo's never going to draw his sword in the film? That seems a little unlikely to me. I think but, well, the, you know, yeah, I think I'm going to hold pure... off talking about the battle oh, he's of the five pr- armies. Sorry? Oh, that's right. But he's proven to be such a killer, you know? I mean, he's obviously... Oh, yeah. That's know, true. Yeah. He's not going yeah. to be the conscientious objector that he was in Rankin Bass, for sure. <laughs> yeah, certainly not. Also, I think the, the from everything we know about Peter Jackson, including including the recent, you know, Viggo Mortensen reveal-all, uh, I'm pretty sure what's going to happen is they're just going to knock Bilbo out and just skip the whole battle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. How funny would that be? <laughs> yeah, they changed the title to The Battle of the Five Armies, and then they're like... But actually, it's going to happen. We're just going to tell you about it afterwards. It's not going to really happen on screen. It'll be all yeah. flashback. No, no, yeah. not even flashback. It's literally oh, just, not even like, just build... exposition. Yeah, exposition. exposition yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bilbo's going to wake up and Gandalf's like, "Yeah, you missed a heck of a battle. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you a few sentences about it." And we, then, uh, yeah, yeah, we we thought about showing you in special effects, but why 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 do that when we can have Ian McKellen just tell you about it? Just narrate it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's that's obviously the move that uh, Jackson is. He's set that up. You know? That is interesting. Did did I mean? Does it seem like there's a? I get. I guess. Yeah. I, I guess. I don't know. It just. It seems like it would. Seems like taking time out to dig around in the treasure and give Bilbo a gift. Uh, it would feel really weird in terms of pacing at this point. Yeah, it would, because we've already passed the point, really. Um, uh, I mean, or rather, the moment where it was gifted in the book mm-hmm. isn't there in the film, because of course they don't have. When they come in, when the dwarves and Bilbo finally come into the and and see the horde, it's after Smaug's departure and indeed after his death. Um, the fact that we've replaced that with a, a whole bunch of running around and uh, and then eventually the elaborate guild the dragon plot, um, we've are, you know the, the the moment has kind of passed of when they are reunited with the horde and and the moment is commemorated by the gifting of the mithril coat to Bilbo. Um, now the one thing that I could see, presumably they're going to arm themselves from the horde, obviously when. Um, when it looks like the siege is going to pick up, maybe Bilbo gets armed with it then. Maybe it's maybe it you know is not like a a major gifting moment, but just uh, more part of a a general oh, yeah. arming moment. Um, that would seem a little less if if it was sort of a if it was sort of, if it, yeah that's true if it was a as opposed to a. All right, Bilbo, now to thank you for all of your hard work, we'd like to present you with this gift. If it's more of a, you know, here, put this on, uh, it might keep you alive type moment. That the, it, Sort of an arming moment. It might make a little more sense. Yeah. Or, 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 yeah. or Thorin could confer it upon him on his deathbed. Yeah, that's, um, uh, that was a, Ray Burns was just asking that as a question. Do we think oh, there that we that's going to be, I, I doubt it. It doesn't seem not. like a deathbed kind of thing. Yeah, I, I mean, hope he gets it before the battle, is I think what I'm hoping. Or gets it from day and after the battle, basically, as part of a like a farewell ceremony kind of thing. 
Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, yeah. Remember, this um, is a possible conundrum for you and Laura. Just remember this, Corey. I know you will. <laughs> oh, please. My mind is like a steel trap. Um, <laughs> my, my ex-husband used to say, my, used to say my, my mind is like a trap door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mine is, uh, these days feels more like a quagmire. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Noam asks a good question. What, what, was, what did Bilbo tell us in the Lord of the Rings films? Not that, not that that, oh. not that that's binding in any way, shape, or form. Not that that matters. Yes. About the myth when he gives it to Frodo. Yeah. Um, I, doesn't he just say my mithril coat or something? I don't think I don't, he. I don't think goes into a lot. I don't think he does go into a lot of explanation, does he? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I mean, in the book, in the Fellowship of the Ring book, he says, you know, my my mithril coat that Thorin gave me. You know, he 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 alludes back to the fact that it's the one that Thorin gave him. Um, if I if I'm remembering that correctly, um, but I uh, I don't think there's any similar uh, I don't know um, um, yeah uh, Pete says he doesn't explain the gifts in the film that was my that was what I had it um, I'm not remembering it very specifically but that was that was my memory of it. Um, uh, yeah. Um, good. Both Kim and Yana are remembering, though, that Gandalf later on states that Thorin gave Bilbo the Mithril. Sure. Okay. Yep. Yeah, Brian is recalling this, too. Okay, so apparently, so not at the time of the gifting that we were just asking, but later on, there is a reference that Thorne gave it to him. Well, again, though, this, this still begs the question that, you know, Dave, you and I have been asking ever since the beginning, which is, you know, how, how far out of, the way, out of their way are they going to go in the Hobbit films to maintain consistency with the Lord of the Rings films? Yes. And, and I feel like the answer so far has, has been not enormously far out of it. They'll, they'll, they'll go there. But they won't. They won't sidetrack very far to do it. They've been. They have contradicted the films already, and they seem okay with doing that. Yep. Um, and I'm okay with them being okay doing that. Actually, I think that's. I'm. Uh, I've been glad to see that happen. Um, I don't want to get into a long discussion about it, but where, some, off the top of your head, what's one example where they contradicted the films? Um, the fact that. Um, the oh, his finding the ring was one thing, right? Bilbo finding the ring. Yes, exactly. The scene, the finding of the ring, the yeah. ring scene, um, was not. You know, they he didn't go, they didn't go out of their way to stick to what was depicted there in the yeah in okay the, that's in, true. In the first film, um, they could have tried to recreate that and they didn't. Even general things, Gandalf's state of knowledge at the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. the ring does not seem to match what his state of knowledge would have to be after all the White Council stuff in the Hobbit films. Yep, right, right. That's right, been one that's of the true. bigger issues that we've been sort of tracking yeah. all the way through. Um, I mean, goodness, can you imagine the Gandalf who rolls his eyes when he hears Saruman's voice coming out of the shadows in Rivendell in film one? Um, 
giving delivering that speech that Gandalf does to Frodo and Sam in, at Bag End and be like, I shall go to Saruman, the head of my order. Yeah, he will right. know what to do. Trust me, trust me, Bill, Frodo. He will know what to do. Yeah, I mean, like the the sort of childlike faith that Gandalf shows in Saruman's <laughs> wisdom in that moment, which I always find so absolutely adorable. Um, <laughs> like, Obviously, Gandalf does not have anything like that relationship with Saruman. Um, well, actually, you know, the the the, the uh, reaction to him that that he has in the White Council when he realizes Saruman is there and he rolls his eyes, it reminds me a lot of a student, you know, and the teacher. Oh, Dad's yeah. here, you know. Oh, Dad, you know, like that kind of <laughs> right. reaction, right. which actually you could make kind of fit his. I will go to Saruman. He is. He knows everything. He's the teacher. You know. I mean, he's. Uh, you could kind of make it fit that, but he definitely is like kind of like oh you know the party poopers here as, during the white council thing in the first movie <laughs> right, right. as as neil points out uh um bilbo looks completely different in this version of this, <laughs> this version it's, of this it's true it's true that's but true see, that is one of the key differences <laughs> um yeah, exactly. But no, but again, I mean, this is this is what I'm talking about. I mean, yes, he's establishing connections between the two film trilogies, obviously. But but again, my question is, how far out of his way is he going to be? Is, yeah. is he? Is are they going to feel basically like enslaved to making no. sure that everything they say and everything they do matches? And the answer is clearly no. No. I mean, yeah. Because yeah. it's right. not just the the like physical. You know, like the depiction of Ian Holm, you know, putting his hand on the ring in the dark that we got. Um, I mean, that's, of course, one of the sort of ironies of the the way that it's depicted in film one is it doesn't happen in the dark. He doesn't put his hand on it in the dark. You know, it's, it, it, we get that moment where we see the ring bouncing out of Gollum's. I mean, I just, it's not... He's not enslaved to what he depicted in the first film, and that's good. I, I you know, I, it's not that I think there are wild. I'm not trying to nitpick wild inconsistencies and sort of um, go through and and uh, you know sort of smugly point out mistakes that they made or anything like that. I'm just saying that it's clear that they're not being slavish to what they did, which is good. I think that's a very good thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a prime example, I probably the the most clear example that that we've discussed before were. We don't know for sure what's where we're heading, but is Legolas's storyline because yes. because because it just seems like he's on a trajectory where he's almost certainly has to grow beyond sort of simplistic knee-jerk dwarf hatred, but that's exactly right. what that's Legolas from from Fellowship of the Ring. So right, that's where he started in yeah. Fellowship of the Ring. Absolutely. Um, so so yeah, I mean it's it's. And, you know, even that, you know, even the fact that um, there's really no reason to think in the Fellowship of the Ring that he has a great, uh, you know, a, a, a long personal history with dwarves, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, he would, there's not even a sense of like, uh, you know, I, uh, yeah, you know, Gimli, I know your dad, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's, um, I it's 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 not i mean glowen was there at the council of elrond you know um anyway i i so so it's 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 fine i i think it's pretty clear that they're not gonna they're not gonna worry about that too tremendously much um but but anyway getting back to the getting back to the main issue here um 
how are we going to see? Well, first of all, here's a here's another question. Um, thinking about the way the the film introduces a, a new element into Bilbo, the question of Bilbo Thorin and the Arkenstone. Um, that is the reason why Bilbo is so unforthcoming and so frustratingly evasive when Thorin is asking him about the Arkenstone is clearly in response to what Smaug has just told him about the Arkenstone. That the Arkenstone is what is responsible for, like, destroying his mind, you know, that he's going to be doing harm, that he's saving Thorin from himself by keeping the Arkenstone away from him. Um, We're talking movie now, right? Talking movie now. Yeah, okay. Not I get confused. Okay. Yeah, sorry. An important <laughs> clarification. I'm talking. We're, we're talking. We're talking movie now. Because you, you remember the, the the speech that Smaug gives to Bilbo when he's chasing him around, right, in the right. horde. Um. Right. He refers to the madness. Right. He refers to it being yes. What yes. caused or doesn't he recur? What throws madness? Yeah. Yeah. Um. And seems to suggest that the Arkenstone. Doesn't he seem to suggest that? The, I mean, am I misremembering that that he that he suggests that the Arkenstone is is causes it, is connected with it? That's what I took away from it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I did. Sort Dave, do you have that recollection? I mean, you've seen it more than we have. <laughs> some subtle implications. Yeah. Of of you know uh, causality there, um, in, in in you know the treasure in general. I I I kind of I assume we're going to see some of that that that. Somebody probably Balin, right, is going to point out that like you seem to be going the same. You seem to be heading in the following in the footsteps of your of your uh, grandfather and father, Thorin. It's this right. treasure, and maybe you know, and maybe maybe uh, they'll do like a shot of the Arkenstone or something. Of course, I, do, where the heck is the Arkenstone at this point? I don't even know. Well, we're not. We we don't see it. Um, we'll come back to that. This is our riddle is related to this, so we'll come back to that yeah. in a minute. But um, um, that's the direction but, we're. But yeah, I'm, yes. I mean, I'm sure. I, I'm sure there's going to be explicit references made to. Whereas, do they? Do they in the in the? I'm trying to remember in the book, does the narrator, you know, give any sort of explanation about, you know, uh, does he point out like, boy, Thorin's behavior sure seems to be, you know, like dragon sickness as we've come to know it. Uh, um, I don't. I feel like it's not that explicit, but I think they will be in the film, and I'm pretty. Sh and I think it will be Balin. I mean, Balin's already, you know, saying yes. things that are hinting in that direction. So, yes. So I kind of wonder yes. if Balin's going to be on Team Bilbo here uh, when right. when we start having right. dissent and disagreement. I wonder if Balin's going to be start putting up some resistance to what Thorin's saying and doing. Well, they've positioned him in such an interesting way, I think. I mean, you think back to the, fir the, the, the bond between Balin and, and Thorin that we've seen from the beginning, as Balin is one of the only ones that we see in the opening sequence, right? You know, he's the one whose life Thorin saves when Smaug attacks in the first place. Um, we get that touching scene in Bag End, right, where Balin is saying, you don't have to do this, right? So we see Balin as... As, uh, as you know, and then we get the the, 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 the touching speech of you know Balin narrating the Battle of Azanul Bazaar, and you know, and the whole like you know that's when I saw Thorin. He was my king that I will follow. You know, so we see Balin's loyalty. We see the bond between the two of them. 
to have Balin be the one who stands up to him as he already has started, as you say, Dave, um, at the end. And, and the, 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 basically the, the position that Balin is going to be put in if he has to confront Thorin you know, further and stand up against him. Where is, is Balin just going to stand by, sadly, um, you know, if we get the Descendant of Wrath scene? You know, if, yeah. if Thorin moves to kill Bilbo, um, what's Balin going to do? That's a, a, I think that's a, that's a very interesting question um, in, the, in, the, in the film world. Um, another he has issue, really though. been given the, the role of conscience is what I kind of came up with, you know, when he had that right. talk with him in the second movie. Right. It's like, I just see that he's going to be, I think in the third movie, reflecting that kind of role as the conscience of the, of the group. Right, right. Um, uh, right. Now, um, the, um, the, another important issue that we need to think about, though, I want to, I want to shift to talking about the Arkenstone, and we're already kind of moving in that direction, but I want to stop us for a second, because there's a, there's a major factor that we haven't discussed yet, and that is Bilbo and the Ring. Yeah. What are we going to see with Bilbo's relationship with the Ring? That, of course, um, was you know, has been prominently featured in both films. Um, where do we see Bill? You know, we, we can talk later on. We're going to come back to Bilbo's character later. We can save the big question of, uh, you know, to me, the really big question, which I really am not sure what my answer is in thinking about this is what is the end point of the ring of the Bilbo yeah. and the ring trajectory? Where is that plot going? What's yeah. Bilbo going to end up like? Where, you know, what, I, I don't know. We we can save that. That's for a future episode. But but for right now, um, we have this this extra variable in the in the dragon treasure. You know the like Bilbo Thorin and dragon sickness and the Arkenstone equation. A new variable in that equation is the Ring of Power because now we have Thorin. Of course, you know we're talking. We've been talking about Thorin. Um, losing his focus and getting corrupted either just by his desire for treasure or his obsession with uh, completing his quest and willing to make inappropriate sacrifices on the way to doing that. Um, um, and even possibly, again, if Smaug's implications are correct, being actively corrupted by the power of the Arkenstone itself. Um, what, um, but what about Bilbo? At the same time now in the film, we have Bilbo wrestling with, um, with the ring, um, and we see him. I, you know, even in the moments when he is uh, creeping into the horde, I think that we can see him not wanting to have the ring on any more than he needs to. Yeah, we can see. I think some kind of resistance from Bilbo to the ring, or discomfort with it, even though he seems. You know, he's doing. He's already doing. You know, sort of the addict thing with the ring. Um, as in, in particularly, especially after that scene where he drops it in Mirkwood, um, is what I'm thinking of, especially there. And he kind of looks like an addict who thought he had lost his fix, you know. Um, they're already introducing that element, which makes some sense, but do we see the ring factoring in at all in this particular sequence, in, uh, in, in his in the conflict with Thorin and the dragon sickness. Well, I mean, I can see him using it for a practical purpose, you know, much like he did when he went into the dragon's horde, right? He put it on to go sneak into Smaug's lair. I could see him, you know, if he does steal off in the night, 
I could see him using the ring as a way of getting to the men's and elves encampments. Yep. Yeah, you know, yep. definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm trying to think, I mean, I think we'll see, I'm thinking we'll see him using it in the battle, but I think that's for another conversation. So this section of the movie, I think that would be the only, I could see him using it for that purpose and pretty much that's it. I know well, Jackson has said in, in, in previous interviews something about how we're going to be seeing its, its, you know, its, its power over Bilbo grow as he uses it more. We haven't really seen that. Yeah, well, it's kind of, we did see it, it in the second point. You think so? Well, we saw yeah. it with the spiders. Yeah, but, but I mean, the then when he was then when he was with Smaug, it didn't really seem. To, I mean, there wasn't any continuation of that. You know what I mean? It no, was there, kind there, of... yeah. Well, I I don't know. Like I said, I see it in how quickly Bilbo takes it off. I mean, takes it off. To, I, okay. I agree with um, you know Kate Neville was just saying Bilbo seems to reluctant to use it for very long. Um, his experience with the spiders read to me that he was becoming aware of its evil and perhaps he'll only use it for the most right. pragmatic of purposes. That also was the impression that I was getting from it, that Bilbo seems to distrust it. Um, yeah. He's taking the, it off in Smaug's lair, I thought, was something more like Smaug almost compelled him to do it. Yeah, yeah, no, not then, but like, you know, before and afterwards. Like oh, he, oh, oh, got he, it. He, he, he seems to minimize the amount of time he right. spends invisible. Yeah, he does um, seem to. And there, there seems to be, there seems to be, there seems to be something to that. Um, but now, I, Kate's follow-up point is exactly what I was thinking too. Kate goes on to add that awareness may well feed his thought that taking the Arkenstone is actually doing Thorin a favor, a sort of intervention action. That there could be a kind of, like, I feel this kind of power growing in me. Like I've also got a, you know, a shiny thing in my, you know, I've got two shiny things in my pockets right now. I've got Thorin's shiny thing and I've got my own shiny thing. I can see what my own thing, you know, what the ring is doing to, you know, he has a sort of a sense of what it's doing to him. So when he hears Smaug talking about how this thing might destroy Thorin and how he's going to go crazy, he might be, there could be a kind of empathy um, with Thorin that, um, that the his experience with the ring is giving him that that's one way in which I could see the ring introducing a new kind of dynamic to the uh, to to this whole interaction in the film. Well, and especially if Balin does serve the role of maybe confiding it to Bilbo to Bilbo his worries about Thorin. I mean, I could see that being also something that maybe would feed into Bilbo's wanting to maybe not you know have. If Thorne have the Arkansas, if 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 uh, if Balin says things that are similar, his concerns about Thorin tracking right. with kind of how Bilbo right. is feeling about the ring, right? You know, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to comment on this too much, and we can yeah. we can you know we're we're gonna do an episode on Bilbo later on, you know, where we'll talk about this stuff more. Um, and so, you know, maybe when we when we kind of hash out and think through a little bit more the whole, you know, the the, the larger story of Bilbo and the Ring, maybe we can kind of come back to this. Um, but I just wanted, to, I just kind of wanted to make sure we threw that out there because I think that it's 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 a factor. Um, I, I suspect it's going to be a factor one way or another in the film, and I think it's important to to ask a question and think about it. It is. It is interesting. Yeah, and, that Andy's, we, oh, we have sorry, multiple potential sources of corruption. Yes, exactly. And kind of parallel sources. And we haven't even gotten to the Dwarven Ring of Power. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. not even counting that. Uh, we have uh, we have several sources of corruption. And kind of, as I say, kind of parallel. I mean, the, the fact that the Arkenstone is like Bilbo's ring is, is uh, you know, that seems like a parallel that's, that's 
pretty well established in the film. Andy makes a good point. You know, he says it's interesting that if Bilbo is made to perceive more the power and danger of the ring, that he would leave it to Frodo, given how much he cares about Frodo. That's definitely a topic for us to to take up when we actually do a ring episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that's a good point. How yes. you know how Jackson is, if Jackson's going to reconcile that at all, or you know how that would be. Yeah, well, that's 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 another thing. I mean, that's see, it's these kinds of large things. I mean, again, going back to the question of the consistency between the film trilogies. It's not that I'm like sort of I, I'm certainly not wanting to nitpick, you know, something like, uh, you know, Gandalf's hat is demonstrably different in the one film compared to the other. I'm not talking about stuff like that. I'm talking about um, characterization. You know, the way that they depicted Gandalf in the beginning <laughs> right. does not seem to me consistent. The way that they depict uh, the way that they depict Bilbo. Again, like thinking back to the Bilbo scenes, even like the scenes where Bilbo is frantically running around looking for the ring mm-hmm. at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, there's a kind of, it seems to me, I don't see anything like, um, in that scene in the Fellowship of the Ring, I don't, see, I don't see anything like the kind of self-awareness that we seem to be getting from Bilbo in these films. You know, that um, his, the sort of level of his addiction to the ring seems to be something that he's not really himself thinking about or conscious of, which works well in the Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, I think, you know, we, we see its effect on Bilbo, and yet, you know, he doesn't seem to think that it's a big deal, and he doesn't really take it seriously. Um, it's hard to imagine the Bilbo that we're seeing. It's, it's hard to imagine Martin Freeman's Bilbo with the interactions with the ring that he's already had in, the, in these films just naturally turning into the Ian Holm Bilbo that we got. Right in the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, I just I don't think that they're continuing. We're not. We're not. For the record, we're, it's not like we're like complaining or no. criticizing. We're no. we just think it's interesting. Yeah, and I, and <laughs> if anything, I like it. I mean, yeah. I, I think if if had they truly adopted um, the Lord of the Rings films stuff as like an absolute restriction, like we cannot do anything that then they would have totally handcuffed themselves. Yeah. Um, and I think that clearly would have been the wrong choice. Dave, yeah, are you trying to tell the people that we're not as snarky this year as we've been in previous years? No, I, I, but, uh, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're just not snarky about that. About that. Okay. To, no, just think of what we what we did to the about the, the new title. But in but we said from the very beginning, <laughs> we said from the be- very beginning we'd rather they make the three best films that they possibly could as opposed yes. to make the three best. Consist perfectly consistent Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. prequels, right, right, and based right. on based on what and, and I think we were right to feel that way based on what Viggo Mortensen said about uh, their filmmaking process in his interview. <laughs> Apparently, they need all the help they can get. <laughs> yeah, we we think Riddles in the Dark is disorganized. I mean, the way Mortensen made it sound was yeah. movies two and three of the Lord of the Rings were just like chaos. Right. Though you know, I'm sure. I, I mean, the fact that it appeared that way to the actors involved, I mean, that seems almost inescapable, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know. Well, like, except it, what he. Re- what he referred to was he basically said something like they kept coming back for more filming. You know, that was yeah, kind of yeah, one of his data yeah. points was, yeah. you know, Jackson didn't know what direction he wanted to do. And he kept having him come back for more and more and more and more and more filming. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of led a little more credence to what 
I thought yeah. you were saying. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I mean, as, as, as somebody who has been making up my life as I go along, uh, I greatly sympathize with that approach. <laughs> I have no question about the fact that if I were running a film, I would be running it the way that Peter Jackson Yeah, and it, and it also just, you know, I mean, we shouldn't spend a whole lot of time on this, but, but the truth of the matter is the, the narrative about, oh, we're, we made all three Lord of the Rings films at once and blah, blah, blah. It, it, it probably was naive to just completely yeah. believe that that was the case that that yeah. um that on this right. this relatively new untested director at the time who who'd had one sort of small indie hit that the studio would come and say yes we would like to spend hundreds of millions of dollars for you to make three films without getting any feedback about whether people will watch them or not yeah now you know right. now they think back I'm like okay that yeah, seems unlikely probably well, and, they had to film some yeah later. that's what he basically says too he says you know anybody who claim, he basically said anybody who says to you today that they knew this trilogy the original trilogy was going to be a blockbuster is lying you know he right. basically said the only reason that you know, he said, if it hadn't been so popular at the first 20 minutes at Cannes, Cannes Film Festival showed that this thing was going to be a hit. Otherwise, the, the second two films would have gone straight to DVD, which I thought was just really interesting. I mean, I can, I can understand that. If you go, It's like with Tolkien, you know, we just assume this was like written in stone, that these were going to be so uh, amazing. And then you go back through his writing process and his own, you know, and it's like, well, no, nothing was guaranteed. You know, even the who was going to publish Lord of the Rings wasn't even guaranteed at one point. Right. So, yeah, yeah. so it's just it's sort of an interesting, it's the same kind of story, you know, which is these weren't destined to be classic blockbuster fan mm -hmm. films, you know, when they first started out. Yeah. Actually, you know, on that subject, I was just, uh, this past week, I just um, reread uh, for the first time in a while, the two book reviews that C.S. Lewis wrote, um, first when The Fellowship of the Ring came out and then when The Two Towers came out. Um, and of course, C.S. Lewis is, 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 is incredibly glowing, but you can see the difference in his two reviews. When The Fellowship of the Ring came out, he is like fighting the good fight. You know, he's, he's, he's <laughs> obviously assuming that everyone is going to be like panning it. And yeah. he, you know, and he, but he's, and he's trying to convince everybody to give it a chance and like that, you know, and, and, and to sort of try to prepare them for what they'll find and put them in the right frame of mind to receive it and everything. And then when he writes his review of the two towers and it's already been successful, he actually alludes to that. You know, he's like, I, you know, I had feared that, um, you know, that they would not receive the, uh, the, 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 the positive reception that I was so confident that they deserved. But, and then he kind of goes, like, goes on about how, like, he's, like, all over pleased, but really quite surprised that people, <laughs> that people have liked them uh, and are, in, you know, that, that he was, he, you know, it's it just, it's, it's, I, I find that a really delightful moment. Oh, I gotta, like he, I gotta find those. That'd be interesting. Yeah, those, those are really cool. Um, but, uh, like, but, yeah. Right, so, I mean, so uh, let me tear into Two Towers now. <laughs> no, no, you know he's 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 of course, but but yeah, he's he's his his obvious pleasant surprise at the fact that he's not having to. I mean, like clearly he's not writing the the, the second review. He's not writing the review he thought he was going to have to write. You know, he thought he was going to have to go in and be like, okay, no, everybody, you're all wrong about the Fellowship of the Ring. It really is very good, and you should totally read this one too. And instead, he's like, yeah, actually, people like this. I'm 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 pleased but shocked. Um, I feel better about the human race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and all he does do is go immediately, and it's interesting to see C.S. Lewis already in his review of the Two Towers. You know, so before the Two Towers has even been released, he's already explicitly refuting the World War II allegory reading. Yep. Um, 
in that review. So, you know, which, which, you know, certainly predates Tolkien's preface to, you know, his forward to the second edition that everybody quotes about that. Um, we see C.S. Lewis doing that, like within months of the release of The Fellowship of the Ring, he's already writing that. Um, so clearly people who hadn't even read The Return of the King yet, you know, they had only read The Fellowship of the, the Ring, they were already immediately thinking, oh, it's obviously a, an allegory of World War II. Anyway, yeah, sorry, I'm getting yeah. distracted now. But. Oh, God, we can go on and on for that. Oh, but yeah, you're, we're opening a whole other, you know, this will be for next year when we're trying to expand Riddles in the Dark to longer <laughs> episodes. We'll add this type of topic. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, okay. Um, uh, let's uh, let's move towards our riddle here. So it's I, I, I distracted us briefly from uh, from the Arkenstone, but let's let's return to the Arkenstone here. Um because this is, of course, the big crux, the, the final, uh, the, you know, the final culmination of this particular thing. What is Bilbo going to do? How is the Arkenstone thing going to play out? Um, and uh, why don't we just actually, why, why, why don't we start with a riddle and then we can kind of talk our way okay. around it here. Um, the question for our riddle is, what does Bilbo do with the Arkenstone? Um, so I will I'll go ahead. And... I just did. Oh, I just did. Oh, oh. Oops. Okay. Hang on. Can we do it I again. I, just... I think we just both yeah. did it at the same time there. We did, yeah. and it closed for some. You know. So... Awesome. Yeah, that was cool. Can we do it again? <laughs> so I do. I'll do it. Okay. There we go. Awesome. Cool. All right. Okay. So the, these are the results. Nobody can. Yeah, do. but we need, I'll. We, we I'll, need to reset I'll, it. I'll now hide, and then I'll see if oh. I can do it again. Can do it again. Sorry. I'll read it anyway. I'll read it. Okay. Um, <laughs> Option A, while Trish resets it. Yeah, Option A, it. Uh, he gives it to the, uh, he, this is of course, as always, the book answer, he gives it to the elves and are the men. That is, he hands it over to the forces that are besieging the Lonely Mountain, just as he, well, not necessarily exactly as he does in the book, but that's what he does with it. Um, option B, he gives it to Thorin or some other dwarf. So he doesn't hand it over to the elves and men at all. He either gives it to Thorin or he gives it to one of, to, to one of the other dwarves. Option C, he keeps it. Now, I will specify, if we were to have a situation where, for instance, um, uh, where, for instance, Bilbo kept the Arkenstone and returns it to Thorin on his deathbed or, like, sets it on his tomb or something like that, um, then, uh, then that would be... Um, that would count as C. That would that, that would count as I, I would count that as he keeps it. Like throughout this sequence, Bilbo keeps it. Option D is he never had it. So if you're one of those people who thinks that Bilbo might not have the Arkenstone in his pocket at the end of Desolation of Smaug, um, D is the choice for you. Um, if it's actually lost and still being hunted for, and Bilbo does not really, in fact, have it, um, and then E is none of the above. Um, and this would cover various uh, conceivable but relatively obscure scenarios, um, such as maybe he gives it to Gandalf, right? That would count as something different. Uh, maybe he loses it. Uh, maybe, as Dave was suggesting before the show, uh, he finds when he holds it that it burns his hand, and so he casts himself down into a fiery chasm in the earth. Um, <laughs> could happen. He might throw it into the ocean. It's a bit of a walk, but he might. 
cast it into the sea, and then spend the rest of his life making sad songs on the shores. This is after, um, this is after murdering the elven guard. Yeah, yeah, he'd he'd have to he'd have to do that. Any of these things really are are potential possibilities. Um, so, um, those are our options. Are we not able to reset? Okay, no, I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna have no. I'm gonna just have to just like do a whole new one. I'll do it again. Okay, yeah, sorry about so, that. Yeah, sorry. Well, kind of had too many cooks there on the on the pole. Yeah, so for me, so much for me trying to be helpful, right? No, or thing. you know, terrible thing. Yeah. Anyway, your... okay, sorry, we'll try okay, to get so it off gonna, again. So, okay. But we could talk about the different ones in terms of what we think, right? James, is, James Pace is, of course, pointing out that I that we left out the option, he'll take it on a ship across the sky. Uh, yes, that, <laughs> that's true. That would also count as E if that happens. No question. Um, uh, <laughs> that, that's certainly a none of the above answer. Um, yes. But, before the end of the third film, Bilbo is made into a new star and constellation, and he is set to keep eternal vigilance over the Earth with the Arkenstone. And that's, that's the also... Arendel answer, right? Yeah, exactly, the Arendel answer. Um, uh, okay. So, where do you guys think this is? Well, for, I mean, I guess the, the first big question. Do you guys think that he's going to seriously deviate from the book here are we going to get um because i mean with this riddle even more than some others it seems to me the question is are we going to get a or are we going to get something besides a and then if we're going to get something besides a we choose what it is but um do we think he's going to stick with the book here it's a little tricky i think yeah in part because of the differences with thranduil i mean i'm not sure i would give thranduil the arkenstone no um, i'm not sure i would necessarily trust bard right yeah exactly it's it's going to be especially since bard is likely to be even if his daughters are not tragically killed as we have speculated about before um is likely to be very hostile much more hostile than bard in the book was yeah that's true yeah because he's gonna you know because he was pretty vocifer emotionally vociferous about <laughs> yes about uh, and that was only at the prospect of destruction potentially coming yeah. um now once destruction in fact comes and all of his uh grim predictions are proven true yes yes one could see bard being a good deal more hostile um so yeah I, I, I'm tending toward the book answer, maybe for different, some of the reasons may be different. Like you just said, you know, Bard's going to be a completely different character, really, than we had in the book. Um, but I think Bilbo's reason for it will be similar to the book and probably prompted not just what, like from knowledge of the ring, but maybe from a conversation with Balin and his own, his own interactions with Thorin. I think his his motivation for taking the Arkenstone to the elves and men and or men will be similar as what's in the book. That's where I'm sitting now. Now I could right. change my mind. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, though, though here's, here's sort of a, a, a sort of a corollary to that though. Even if we assume that Bilbo's motivations in the film are going to end up being similar in the sense that they're going to be, he is choosing to try to establish to try to establish peace even when everyone around him is is preparing for war, and he's going to try to save Thorin from himself even though he knows that Thorin might even 
you know, harm him for doing so. Might even kill him for doing it. Nevertheless, he's going to do what needs to be done, what he perceives needs to be done to save Thorne from himself. Even if, my question is, even if that is his those are his motivations in the film, will, do we have reason to think that Bilbo would think that handing the Arkenstone over to the elves and, dwarf, and, elves and uh, humans is the way to accomplish that end? Well, here's another possibility. Maybe his goals aren't quite so lofty. Maybe he just feels his life is in danger, and he want, maybe he's actually looking for um, sanctuary, you know, with the elves and men. Right. And, and the Arkenstone is a proof that he's not a spy. In other words, they'd say, well, why should we believe you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he uses the Arkenstone as a way to show that he's, you know, being uh, sincere. I mean, that could be. Who's laughing? Somebody's laughing. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I think that that's possible. Um, uh, Dime says, Bilbo gives it to the elves and men to protect Thorin from insanity. Yeah, wait a second. If the Arkenstone causes insanity, <laughs> he could be giving it to Thranduil to in order him. to drive him crazy. And under it could be like, a, you know, he's like countermining the enemy. Right, I'm gonna lob this stink bong among among them. Yeah, much um, like really much like a... um, much like uh, uh, Smaug said he was tempted to do. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, should, I, we probably probably need to give more more weight to to Smaug's comments on this. That the that you know, yeah. Smaug, Smaug really seems to indicate that there is sort of a that there's a corruptive influence to the Arkenstone at least for the uh, uh, heirs of Durin. Now he's quite likely lying. However, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, uh, uh, and it, and it might yeah. and it might not actually be an external um, corruptive influence. It might just be I because I know that's how, or that's how that's how I, that's how I I know or expect that's how he will behave. But right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, uh... Um, well, so there's the, one option in here actually that I think is a really good one. Um, uh, Bronte says, "What if Bard or anyone takes it by force?" Right. Uh, yeah, um, like somebody steals it or takes it from Bilbo. That would be an E option. Yeah. Um, but I think, but I think in that, terms of just an interesting idea that that one, yeah. that one's kind of stuck in my imagination. Like, I'm or Thranduil, of... I could see Thranduil doing that because yeah. Thranduil actually referred to it when he was talking to Thorin in in the well, uh, no, see, spa that, prison. Though this is something that that I that I'm still not quite understanding and wondering though if this is going to enter into Bilbo's goings on here at the gate is Thranduil's issues with his gems. Right, right. This, that's what this, I was just thinking. Yeah, which I don't think is the Arkenstone, but something else. Right, it's that necklace that he got. That necklace. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the necklace there, um, which I assume is the one that this is inspired by the necklace of of uh, white gems that Bilbo gives to Thranduil at the end of the Hobbit book, right? Mm -hmm. at, you know, when they're on the way back, and he gives the Elven King that gift. Um, I'm assuming that that gift from Bilbo to the Elven King is what inspired this whole white gem thing, and then they just decided to kind of Silmarillion it up a little bit um, uh, in in making Thranduil so understandably Thingol-like, you know, with the whole like I too have a treasure that I desire, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, but therefore, so I mean, basically, we have sort of two things here in the book. 
The Arkenstone's significance, it's of great symbolic significance to Thorin, but the role that it plays is simply, this is the key to Thorin's heart. Thorin, this, this thing has no powers. It has no influence. It has, you know, it has no potency other than the fact that it's beautiful and that Thorin desires it. So this is the key to Thorin's heart. I will give you this to help with your bargaining, as Bilbo says. Um, but now the Arkenstone in the film is more than that. It's not just the thing that he wants because he, it's really pretty and it's meaningful to him for history, you know, for family reasons and all this stuff. There's a pragmatic purpose. It seems that their whole plan all along was to get the Arkenstone so that Thorin could rally his people, whether that happens through some kind of mystical means or whether, um, you know, through more mundane um, sending them messages. Best, um, <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, but in any case, now the Arkenstone, the acquiring of the Arkenstone has been made in the films the whole goal, like that that is the keystone of the entire plan. If Bilbo withholds the Arkenstone from Thorin, it is now Bilbo, you know, foiling the entire quest. And if he gives the Stone of the Dwarves, the stone which has been linked so explicitly, at first we were thinking perhaps symbolically, after the second film it seems more than symbolically, connected with Thorin's ruling and his crown to give that over is more than just, that's more than just a bargaining chip. Um, And again, that's why I was asking, that's what I was thinking, Trish, when I was asking, even if Bilbo has the same desires and motivations in the film as he has in the book, would handing over the Arkenstone in the film world, given what its significance is, would giving that over be the means to procure that? I'm not sure it would. Um, It might be the way to guarantee war. Um, you know, because it's not just a ransom chip anymore. Um, you know, Thorne has to have it at all costs. So I don't know. I mean, that's the thing that, to me, more than anything else, unsettles the book answer. The book answer. Because it's no longer a simple, um, we need to I, we need to find some lever to help Thorne. If we can't help Thorne to see sense and to do the right thing, we need to. I need to use some lever in order to compel Thorin, you know, to, 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 to get Thorin to do the right thing. And doing the right thing is treating with Bard and giving over the treasure and establishing peace. He won't do it on his own. He won't do it reasonably. So I'm going to have to give the Arkenstone over so that they can use it as a bargaining chip, and that'll force Thorin to do the right thing, even though he doesn't want to. That seems to be Bilbo's reasoning in the book. But that reasoning won't hold with the Arkenstone. It doesn't seem to me that it will hold simply, anyway, in the film, given the new significance of the Arkenstone. And I could see Thranduil especially wresting it from Bilbo by force as a way, because in his mind it would be to trade for his gems. Right. You know, this is his way of being able to get Thorin to hand over the necklace. Um, but then again, you know, if that's the case, then how does, Thor- how does Thranduil encounter Bilbo and you know, get in a position where he can rest it away. I don't know. Yeah, it's a really good point. I, I, and I, is, is Jackson going to make, you know, that's the other question for me then. Is he going to make that a big deal? Like, is he just going to gloss over the fact that this is actually serious, this truly is betrayal if right. Bilbo takes the Well, Arkenstone. that's the thing. As, as firmly as the Arkenstone has been established, has been connected with the, the throne of the king, with the authority of the king under the mountain, handing it over to the enemy is 
I mean, Bilbo seems to genuinely believe that he's not betraying his friends when he hands the Arkenstone right. over. Right. Um, I, I, that seems an untenable position in the film. Um, it's not just that Thorin, being as he is, is going to think it a betrayal. It would be a betrayal. I mean, how can you get around that in the film? And, uh, and, and, and here's the other thing. We have the, uh, the, the Elven King's gems present a new factor now. Now there's a lever to be used on the other end. Instead of bringing them the Arkenstone and say, here, uh, Thorin is not really being rational about this, so, but this will probably help. Um, if, you, if you come to the bargaining table with this, then you can make him see sense. And, and instead of doing that, he could come to the Elven King and be like, so, Elven King, um, I got your gems, or I can get your gems, and I'll give them to you if you agree to stand down. Now he's right. got a lever against the Elven King, which he didn't have. He didn't have any lever against Bard. He didn't need really a lever against Bard and the Elven King. But that's out there now in this film. That's so true. that could go in the other direction, really. Um, I like Yana's idea. Yana says, uh, what if Bilbo gives the Arkenstone to Thorin to help in the quest, sees what it does to him, and steals it back? <laughs> <laughs> Now he is a burglar indeed. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, I also kind of wonder, we do get that clear moment, two clear moments in the book, which show Bilbo's own personal desire for the Arkenstone. When Bilbo steals it for the first time, he doesn't steal it for safekeeping. He, he's, he's palming that thing um, yeah. because he wants it. And he says, like, I think I would choose this even if I didn't get anything else, even though he knows that that's not really appropriate. Um, he takes the Arkansas at first because he wants it, which is why his giving it over is a twofold act of self-sacrifice. You could even say a threefold act of self-sacrifice. Um, giving up the Arkenstone that he really wants, giving up his whole share of the treasure anyway, so he's going to get not only just the Arkansas, he's getting nothing at all, and risking his own life because the dwarves and Thorin might kill him when he goes back. Um, are we going to get any of that element at all? Are we going to get any of Bilbo just really wanting the Arkenstone for himself? I think no on that one. I think there are too many motivations swirling around here already that um, Bilbo simply looking at the Arkenstone and saying, oh, it's shiny and I really want it. Um, seems to me kind of unlikely that that's going to really factor in. Yeah. Um, Does, I mean, it's not very exciting in the, in the movie. I mean, there yeah. needs to be more compelling... You know, to, as Boyan says, to to invest the audience, you know, to get the audience invested. Yes. Um, hmm. Can I just say that I hate that kind of thinking? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, I, I won't get too distracted. Audience I, I, I know. Well, I I just look. What percentage of great books have you ever read? And then you hear the author talking about writing the book afterwards. And the author of that great book says, well, really I did all these things because at every moment and in every chapter I was calculating what is the thing that is most likely to engage and please my audience. Um, I can and my see Martin answer, doing that. <laughs> I, can see I have a response which I, won't, uh, which I won't utter on the air. <laughs> Uh, read between the lines and you can figure out my response yourself. Um, as I say, I have never heard the author of a truly great book say anything like that. 
and uh, and that's why. So I, I it's I, I feel like it is a fundamental flaw. Um, if you're you know, but I think it's, man, I think like, it is an element of filmmaking. I mean, it's what makes the guys come across with the money. I mean, it's it makes it it's a commercial piece of it, and I think that's. I mean, and I it's one of the reasons why I think that filmmaking as a storytelling yes. uh, genre is vastly inferior to books right. in right. general. Um, you know, people call movies the premier art form of the modern world. In some sense, that might be true, um, but as as stories, they often suck. Um, yeah. There are, I mean, that's why films that do tell great stories are so wonderful and and why you can overlook so many other things about them. Star Wars is a great story and that film, you know, uh, it, it is great. Um, despite all of the comical things about it, especially, you, you know, you go back, you know, go back and look at like, an, you know, the, the, the original, you know, the non uh, George Lucas prettied up, <laughs> you know, original <laughs> Star Wars film. Uh, and there are a heck of a lot of blemishes in that thing, but it's a good story. Anyway, right. sorry, I'm getting sidetracked now. Sidetracked. But um, but uh, but that that kind of that kind of talk and that kind of thinking really annoys me. I feel like, man, you know, if you really wanna if you really wanna make something great, get out of your own way for crying out loud. But sorry. Anyway, um, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll give a I'll give a more nuanced response, which is which okay, is, okay. which, <laughs> is, which is um, that it's 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 not com you know. It, it's not all or nothing. It's not like the only way to produce good pure art is you can't think at all about what the audience reception will be. But it definitely can be taken too far. It, 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 yes. it taken too far, it corrupts the it corrupts the art, and it, and it, and you you end up doing you know you end up doing you you end up producing art under under the uh circ the same circumstances that people plan political campaigns where you're you're focus mm -hmm. group testing everything and 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 it just yeah. like it can definitely be taken too far. And I yes. think, and I think that the, I think that, um, I think that the, the, the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit filmmakers have been guilty of taking it too far, uh, 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 on several. Well, occasions. from listening to them, I, I certainly they give you that I impression. Yeah, they certainly do give that impression. Yeah, like I said, I, 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 I can't stand it whenever they start talking that way. It, it really annoys me. Um, really? Kind of in the same way that it annoys me to hear modern authors like living authors talk about their own work most of the time i just want them to shut up i i just like you've written no a book you've done enough now stop um <laughs> anyone in particular no all of the, yeah, I, no I, I don't know particular. I, no one in particular at all I, I don't know i mean like sometimes i'm interested but i just um i i, yeah, I you I, gotta give george r. r martin some credit because because i he, do because he doesn't he seems to be decidedly in the in the camp of you know he's aware of how people are going to react but he seems to be just writing the story that he wants to write yeah no i don't get the impression that he's uh focus grouping his stories yeah. i certainly i certainly yeah. do not think as evidenced by the the stories that he's written thus far, which seem to upset. <laughs> well, I think it's just the opposite. I think it's even more that he wants to shock and awe. His yeah, yeah, yeah. Readers, he might be going know? the I mean, other direction, which can, which is yeah, also problematic. Which is also bad. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. We're we're doing a lot of editorial this episode. This Sorry. Is yes. Yes. We I'm, are. I'm, we are. Um. We are. We're doing it, Corey. I know. I know. Okay. Anyway, but here we are. Coming back to the riddle, though, um, especially since we're almost out of time. So, um, 
one of the, uh, the one of the issues that people were suggesting is that other than a there's no real drama in this like if he if he keeps it for himself if he never had it if he gives it to thorin or another dwarf um that that you know it, it's not going to make for something very interesting i you know i'm not at all sure that him giving it to thorin and by giving it to thorin i don't think that that means we have to imagine film 3 opens up and uh you know like they're all like Staring off into the distance as uh, as uh, uh, you know, Smaug flies away, and uh, and then Bill, you know, Thorin turns to Bilbo and is like, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, cough up About the Arkenstone, <laughs> and Bilbo's like, oh yeah, okay, here you go. Um, I, I mean, I I don't think that that's what Bilbo giving it to Thorin has to be. Um, I certainly think that it is it could something. Could be part of the descendant of rats scene again bilbo may be afraid for his life and even though he thinks thorin's going to go you know even more of the deep end he gives it to him just as a way to you know to save his own life in his perception yeah we could get we could get a, a scene wherein you know bilbo says actually stands up to thorin and because for, for the whole i'm trying to protect you you know for your own good thing uh you know and says like yeah i'm not going to give it to you and then you know and and then it you know, changes his mind or Thorin has some kind of, Thorin could have some kind of moment, you know, some kind of conversion moment, you know, where he realizes he's going off the deep end. And I don't know. I mean, there are lots of ways in which it could play out. Um, uh, maybe he gives it to Balin, you know, yeah, and says, say, uh, you, know, you how, take us. What if he entrusts it to a, to a dwarf that seems to right. be, seems to be thinking in That's the same another direction possibility. he is, i.e. Balin. Yeah. Yeah, we were thinking right. Keely yeah. or Feely maybe, but Balin Balin seems like a more likely one. Right. That, yeah, he that, does that, seem that to be, the be leading That's candidate. plausible, I think. Mm -hmm. And also, take then we don't have the betrayal, the huge betrayal that you were talking about earlier. If he if he went with A, you know, uh, he is staying with the dwarves, and he's not, you know, being a complete traitor by giving it to Balin, but also trying to save Thorin from himself. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Now. Several people are saying, but okay, hang on, but if he doesn't give away the Arkenstone, how can we get a Descendant of Rats scene, and how are we going to get a tearful reconciliation at Thorin's deathbed um, if they're not in conflict with each other? I'm not sure the Arkenstone has to end up in the hands of Bard or the Elven King in order for them right. to be in conflict. I agree. Um, I think it's already coming on in movie two, starting yeah. Seeds of a Dead. I mean, what if he did give it to him? What if what if they have a scene in which Bilbo's like, you know, look, I, I really, Thorin, I think it's 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 already doing harm to you. I think it might do more harm to you. I don't like the direction in which it's going. But then he does it and gives it to him, and then uh, and then they are in opposition. And then you know, Thorin does keep going down this way, and Bilbo has to keep standing up to him. And then um, he could, st you know, maybe the maybe he still sneaks out to Parley and does the, like, I'm going to offer you the gems to the Elven King. Right. Right. You know, I, I if you know, I, and he, he could still be trying to make peace against Thorin's will and Thorin, especially if we're going to see him deranged by the Arkenstone or whatever, um, could Perceive respond in a very descendant of rats kind of way mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, to Bil to Bilbo breaking ranks in a different way. Um, I'm just wondering, my, again, my fear, my, my distrust of the A answer in this riddle lies in, lies in the fact that the, the, the obtaining of the Arkenstone was always the crux of the whole quest. Um, they either have to 
um, you know, bring things about in a different way, like bring things, bring the quest to a successful completion in a different, by a different method, um, or they have to enable Thorin to use the Arkenstone. There's more riding on Thorin having the Arkenstone. Again, it was never about the, you know, the, the story, the plot could go on without the Arkenstone um, in the book. It can't in the film in the same way. Unless, I mean, you know, th this unless, would make it unless Roach comes in. He, this would make it all the more urgent that he get it back from the yeah. King. Right. But right. would the other dwarves right. show up if they knew he didn't have it? I guess he doesn't have to tell them he doesn't Roach. have it. Yeah, the ravens. Ah. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. Roach saves the day. That, that's how it is. Yeah, the quest is going to be a complete failure until the eucatastrophic intervention of Roach and the ravens. That's obviously, yeah. <laughs> Yep. Never mind, I've solved the problem. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Well, now that that's a trivial question. Um, anyway, yeah, so I... I um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, um, now, Kirsten asks a very sensible question. She says, does Bilbo know the whole significance of the Arkenstone because it's not clear that he does? Kristen, I'd have to say he almost certainly doesn't, right? Because I don't know the full whole significance of the Arkenstone. I mean, I don't feel like the audience has had the full significance of the Arkenstone revealed to us, um, and we're clearly in the same um, in the same uh, you know place that Bilbo is as far as his understanding of the Arkenstone. So, um, if anything, we know a little bit more than Bilbo does, and we're still confused. So. Um, so I, I do think that's, but, but again, surely this is going to come up more in the third film. Surely we're finally going to get a fuller explanation of this in the third film. Um, and I would think Bilbo would be privy to that, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. We're but, not making, um, we're, we're at least by the, According to the polls, making a very convincing case. Yeah, for, yeah, right. yeah. Now, well, do you um, legitimately not really trust A or believe A, or are you are you just trying to convince? I have doubts about else? A. I have to admit, the one answer I cannot talk myself into at all. I can't even I can't even rally a speech for it. Is D. I I, I cannot yeah. believe that Bilbo doesn't have the Arkenstone in his pocket at the end of film three. That seems to me almost inescapable. Um, I mean, we didn't see him actually put it there, but well, um, so the one, the one, the one issue would be the one issue with that would be. Um, uh, let me let me look at the wording of it again. Never had it. What if he doesn't have it yet, but he goes and gets it? I mean, I don't know how they would have time for that. I, 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 I think, I think you're probably right, but yeah. I mean, I think he's either got a not. Yeah, I, I, it. Well, he he was looking down at it. You know, it was like over near him when, and then he made a dash for the stairs, and I assume picked up. The, I mean, I thought we even saw him make a motion in its direction before he took off for the stairs. Dante's got a good idea. Smalk has it, and he has it in his hand when he goes to Lake Town, and it drops when he flies. <laughs> It becomes one of the, and then they have to go snorkeling for it, you know, just like uh, get out you the hookahs, yeah, like that. Uh, we'll get an underwater. Exactly. Yeah. We'll, we'll have an underwater 
rescue scene. Yeah, there'll be a, a like a like a James Bond style underwater battle between oh the, yeah the men of Lake Town and the elves and the the uh, Azog's orcs. What could be more likely? Well, you know, Gerald Michael makes a really good point. I mean, the Arkestone that they've showed us in this movie, it's a big honkin' rock. For a, Where is Bilbo going to secrete it on his person? That it, it's not, it's, it's, what's that bulge in your pocket? You know, I mean, it's <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> it's like how's he, I mean, I don't know. Or are you, do you have a growth on your back? Or, you know what I mean? It's like, I just don't. <laughs> Is that an enormous contusion on your hip, or are you concealing the Arkenstone? Um, yes, yes. Uh, uh, I don't yeah. know. Um, yes, Andy. Andy says, "Are you are you just happy to see me?" I was going to leave that line out. Yes, let's try to avoid that too. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's um, I. I don't know. I mean, it was big, but it wasn't something he would have to hold in two hands or something. I mean, it's not no, like it's as true. big as his head. I mean, no. but it's probably got, about as big as his fist, isn't it? I mean, easily. Yeah, but he could. He could. He, he's got pockets in his jacket. It's not like he's wearing skin-tight clothing, you know. That's and true. I think he could. I. I. I think he can hide it. Besides which, his evasion, his evasiveness when Thorin is cornering him doesn't make a lick of sense if he doesn't have it. If he, doesn't if he didn't have it, it, he would just say so. You know, he wouldn't be all mysterious about it. You know, Thorin's like, where's the Arkenstone? If you were like, man, it's down there somewhere, but a freaking dragon was chasing me and I couldn't pick it out. Like, you know, like he would have said that, obviously, right? About him, he should say that anyway, even if he has it. Well, yes, exactly, you know. right. But, um, <laughs> but again, the fact that he doesn't automatically say that suggests right. to me that it's pretty obviously not true. Um, but, um, anyway, uh, I, um, I agree with you. I D I just can't fathom, but I, I, yeah, I, I can't fathom D. some people, obviously not in this group, but there may be some people who think that he doesn't have it or he never. Yeah. Does. There seems to be, there seems to be a, the, I was frankly surprised that people were even debating that question. You know, right. does he have it? I thought it was pretty clear that he did. Um, so I've never really believed in that debate from day one. So I can't. But you know, for the sake of completeness uh, and the sake of the and for the fact that people do seem to be debating this, there appear to be some people in the world who believe he does not have the Arkenstone in his pocket, and therefore, it's a theoretical possibility. Um, his keeping it, I find that the second least likely answer to me. Um, I could imagine it. I mean, it would be a little bit interesting. The, but the way there, the, the only way, here, here, here's the way I could imagine that. That that could be his solution for the, I'm doing this for your own good. You know, mm -hmm. um, he's not going to, giving it to the elves and men would be a much greater caliber of betrayal in the films than it was in the books. So he's not going to go so far as that. Um but he is going to still withhold it. He is going to hide it from Thorin um, and, uh, you know, doesn't end up giving it back until after the fact. I can just imagine that happening. Um, uh, and then, you know, people are talking about, oh, but what about the tension? Jackson isn't going is, to dial down the, the, the tension and conflict. Well, no, but we've already seen tension and conflict from, like, are you hiding the Arkenstone? Tell me where the Arkenstone is. Maybe that's the direction it's going to go. You know, maybe he's just going to conceal it, and Thorin is going to get more and more suspicious, and 
uh, more and more convinced that Bilbo is withholding it, um, uh, you know, until like that is what leads to the descendant of rats scene. I can see that leading to the descendant of rats scene. Um, but again, the reason why he would keep it would be to protect Thorin from himself. He believes what Smaug told him that the Arkenstone is going to corrupt Thorin. So here he's looking at Thorin, and Thorin is raving about it. And Thorin's like, "Give me the Arkenstone! I must have the Arkenstone!" And Bilbo's like. You know, if I give you the Arkenstone, whether or not he says says this aloud to him, you know, I, I, if I give you the Arkenstone, it's going to destroy you. So, like, I'm not going to do it for your own good. Um, you know, that that can see it. I can yeah. see that. Yeah. Yeah. But again, him not being willing to give it to the the enemy who is much more hostile, and uh, and the Arkenstone is so much more pivotal. Um, you know. If they really do end up needing it to summon the dwarves, you know, or whatever, however that ends up working, um, um, you know, then. Um, so anyway, I could, I could, I, I could see that. Um, again, about, I don't. Uh, it's not that I think it's terribly likely, but I can imagine that one. What about, what about uh, possible E answers? Well, I think there's a fair number of those. I, I'm there sort are. of, I don't know how, I, I, I haven't thought about it uh, enough, but I'm, I think the, the uh, notion of, um, of somebody taking it from Bilbo having it and having it removed from him by force, either by the dwarves or by the, 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 the elves and the men seems like an interesting idea. What if, yeah, what if, uh, what if the dwarves took it from him by force? Does that count as giving it to the dwarves? No. No, I wouldn't say so. Right. Um, right. He would have to hand it over. Yeah. Voluntarily. Voluntarily. Possibly reluctantly, but voluntarily. Um, if, you know, if Thorin just has him frisked <laughs> and, and takes the Arkenstone off his person, uh, that's E. Yeah. Yeah. Get um, him, boys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, if there's a, um, yeah, if there's like an airport style search of Bilbo and, uh, and, and they, and they find the Arkenstone, that's not B. Um, hmm. how about this? He sneaks out to the elves and men in order to talk to them about it, and he has the Arkenstone, he reveals himself to the elven sentries, as he does in the book. But the elven sentries, being more hostile in the film than they are in the book, take him prisoner, find the Arkenstone, search him, find the Arkenstone, and take it away from him. And then he has the whole conversation with Thranduil, where he's like, hey, I was coming to talk to you about that. Like, and, and now he's like, they've, so they've, they've taken it from him under those circumstances. Yeah, so he back to work, or so could fall kind of, out of his pocket even. So maybe the, the intention was to give it to them anyway, but 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 the circumstances under which he actually does give it to them is under duress, right? Or at least to talk to them about it. Yeah. No asks, What if Bilbo has the Arkenstone and Gandalf prompts him to give it up? Um, I'm only going to count it as E if he actually physically hands it to Gandalf. Yeah. If Gandalf tells him. Why don't you give it to Bard? And he's like, "Oh, okay, I will." Then that's still A. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, obviously, it's not. It doesn't happen exactly the same as in the book. But that's still. It's still. He is still voluntarily. You know, to do something under advisement is still to do it voluntarily. Yeah. After, after um, all, after all, right. that is the entire point of Gandalf. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gandalf is all about, uh, all about getting people to do what they should do of their own free right. will. <laughs> right. Right. I could see him giving it to Gandalf, saying, "Look, this thing is bigger than I am. I don't know what to do with it. You're the guy. Here." <laughs> right. You know. But of course, I could also see Gandalf refusing that and That's telling true. him that he yes, has to uh, decide for although, himself. Although movie Gandalf, I don't know. I could see movie Gandalf. Book Gandalf, I think I could see refusing it. Movie Gandalf, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Well, I think he probably would, but. You know, but we'll see. So that's actually why Gandalf's angle on it is why I actually disbelieve in the idea that he's going to hand it to Gandalf. Um, because I don't think Bilbo, if, if Bilbo met Gandalf while still in possession of it, he would, he would very, I, I think he would very likely want to do that. But, uh, but I, I don't see Gandalf taking custody of it. Um, I also think yeah. it's possible Gandalf will show up too late for this to even be an issue. In other words, yeah. I think the Arkenstone line will have played out by the time we see Gandalf again. Yeah. 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 He has a lot to do before he shows up. Yeah. I mean, at least this part of the Arkenstone plot will have. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's true. It's true. Um, hmm. Okay. Apart from Gandalf, though, what are other plausible E answers? Several people have uh, voted E. What are you guys thinking? Those of you who, who, who chose E here in our live poll, our non-binding, can change it later if you want to, live poll, um, what, um, what, what are your reasons? What are your E theories? By the way, while people are writing in, Derek Morgan asks, what if Bilbo keeps the Arkenstone until after the battle, then gives it to Diane as a way of anointing the new king under the mountain? I think that would be he keeps it. Yeah, that's that's seed. Oh, we're that's, talking about that's the seed, totally seed, right? Because we're, we're this yep. portion is like the yep. seed. So. Yeah, we're talking to like pre-battle of five armies. Um, it, you know, if he were to give it to Thorin on Thorin's deathbed, that that would still be seed. You know, that during this crucial time he keeps it. Um, if Thorin receives it only posthumously or on his deathbed, that doesn't count as B. In my mind, again, the question is, what does he do with it? You know, siege the siege. Yeah, during the siege. Yeah, yeah. In the, uh, you know, thief in the dark section of uh, the story. Um, okay. Um, There are so many confounding factors. The films have made the whole thing so much more complicated yep. um, that I have a really hard time with this. Like, there's so many new angles that are there um, that it's very difficult to untangle what things are actually going to look like. Um, because here's another thing. Here, here's the other thing. We've been talking the whole time as if we're assuming that Thorin's trajectory is in fact going to be a straight downhill trajectory. Yep. The end of the desolation of Smaug suggests that that might not be the case. He was headed in that direction. 
you know, he was getting rebuked by Balin and everything else. But what we saw from Thorin at the end of the Desolation of Smaug film seemed to be him turning away from that. True. Um, I'm not sure that he's not already on the rebound, Thorin. And that we might get the 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 tensions and the drama might lie in a very different direction. Doesn't that seem like Well, I hate to bring Richard Armitage up because I know we're not I know we're not supposed to be listening to actors, but he does actually talk in his interviews about Thorin going more downhill in movie three. Okay. I mean, I the impression I get from hearing him talk about it is that it is pretty dramatic. So, but I don't know. I mean, you know, he's not editing the movie, so. Yeah. You know what really gets in the way of good speculation? <laughs> What's that? Information. <laughs> yeah. Information is a complete nuisance. I got to tell you. Well, that's why you should just... Can I just do this in a vacuum, please? Is there some objection to our speculating in a complete vacuum? Uh, all these people have to go and say things. I know. <laughs> and also, you know, there, there are people who we have already vowed to not trust. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, but you're right. Armitage is not one of them. We have, yeah, like I said, I said to somebody else about Vigo, you know, we tend to give Vigo a little bit more credibility, and we well, do with Armitage trust, as well. I trust after the fact interviews that, that are revising the carefully manufactured history that the studio has wanted to present to us, you know. Like, the studio <laughs> is invested in us believing that, they, that this was a coherent, planned out, blah, blah, blah. But interviews, <laughs> but the interviews by actors about films that are going to be released shortly – those are all part of the promotional machine. That's why we don't trust them. And there you and, go. and because and because they haven't seen the final product. That that also, you know, um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, sure, sure. We should also take we should also take what Vigo Mortensen said with a grain of salt because there, there is sure. it is it is fashionable to be the guy who you know like. Everybody like the, the 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 prevailing narr meta narrative about the films is like oh blah you know like oh they were a masterpiece and they were planned ahead and all that and so it is rather fashionable to make a splash by being the guy that's like oh wow <laughs> none of that was true it was chaos so right, we should take right. that with a grain of salt too but I, I'm sort of inclined to it seems like it would be true like that they carefully that the that this idea the same way that the same way that it just doesn't seem likely that J.K. Rowling planned every little detail of the Harry Potter right. series books one through seven out from the very beginning. You just hear that and you're like, unless you really want to be, like, there's some people who are emotionally invested in believing that they're like, oh yeah, J.K. Rowling genius, but it really like with any anyone with any yeah. common sense, you look at well, like, the way it, George R. Right. R. Martin writes and you think that seems more likely. Just you know, yeah. like the guys yeah. just no, and it's not even common sense. I mean, there's. There's what seems to be quite clear evidence in the books that that's not the case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, sort of minor issues of, of, of consistency. I mean, clear evidence of ideas developing over the course yeah. of the series. And same yeah. thing with the Lord of the Rings films, that the, the, the Fellowship of the Ring just seems like it's a, just a much tighter and much better film than the, the next two. Uh, and there's a reason for that. It's because, you know, because, because that was, was the one that they made like a normal movie. Right, and, and there was no guarantee of anything. I mean, it was like yeah. he had to be on his best 
best creative behavior for fellowship of the yeah, ring. So, so I, I'm I'm inclined to believe that, but yeah, but pre-film interviews, yeah, just take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah. They, they don't know what's going on. They have no idea what's going on in the editing room, and they're also probably being coached. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I always thought, that, but I have to say with Armitage, you know, talking about believing Armitage, I thought that was like a, a very cool thing that he did, which we don't know if it was actually on purpose or not. But when he was asked what, this is before Desolation of Smell came out, and they, they asked him, what was your favorite line? And he goes, he says, well, it's, I think he said something like, it's not really canon, uh, but it's, you know, if we're to end in fire, you know, if we're to end in fire, if this is to end in fire, let's all burn together. But he kind of did this really cute little acknowledgement that it's actually not really anything Tolkien said, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> which I thought was kind of cute. Right. Or as Corey would say, adorable. I thought it was adorable. It is, it, yeah. You know. Well, okay. So. So have we waited all, long enough all, for you to think this? This is all by oh way of God. procrastinating, actually voting. I know. Um, and I think pretty much everybody has voted. So why don't we close the poll? No, now what everybody is, has voted. This is, is the first time we've ever yours? had 100% votes. Oh, because I'm only showing 84% on my on my screen, but maybe it's just a... Uh, Weird. Why is showing 100%? It says 84% so voted. Oh, okay. I'm closing. Yeah, no, 84% said A, but 100% have voted. Oh, got it, got it. Okay. Okay. Here are the results. With everybody voting for the first time ever in the history of our doing this live poll, everyone has voted. We have 84% have voted A. Three each, three percent each for B and C, zero for D, and ten percent for E. So, and there are thirty-three people here, so it's pretty clear. One person voted for B, one person voted for C, three people voted for E, uh, and uh, um, everybody else voted for A. What do you think, Dave? A. There, there, I just couldn't convince myself it would be anything else. Yeah, that's kind of still the process I'm in. You know, can I really find something that I can commit to? Yep. And it was tough. Yeah, um, I agree. The thing is, I do think it's going to look very different. Um, that's, of, I, I think that's true. I think it's A, but I think it's going to look different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, do I think that the the Arkenstone is going to change hands between Bilbo and Bard? Yeah, I think probably so. Um, it's probably between A and E, don't you think? Then because it's whether, a question whether he gives it voluntarily or whether it's taken from him. The you know the having it taken from him is is my favorite E answer by far. Um, yeah, I, me too. <clears throat> my B is the only other one that really kind of tempts me. Um, though I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of, I, 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 I talk myself a little bit into C. Um, you know, the idea of him nobly withholding it. I think my, at the end of the day, my biggest objection to C is simply the practical matter. I mean, where is he going to hide it? Sooner or later. Yeah. I mean, Thorne was already really suspicious even after that one encounter. It's not going to take many more encounters for him to get more suspicious about Bilbo and the Arkenstone. Um, so, I mean, he hides it in his, like, cluster of stuff that he uses for a pillow in the, in the um, book. 
are we gonna, is he going to have a hidey hole in the you know in the film? I, I don't know. I mean, the difficulties of that. Not 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 that it's impossible by any means, but I, I think that might well be very unconvincing on films on screen. So. So in the end, I don't think it's going to be C. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> By the way, to to, snap, to to spend more time, I just want to say um, I do miss him not having a cold, Bilbo. I do miss that in the movie. Yeah. You didn't have time to develop a cold. That's true, I know, but still, it's just, but thank you very much. Yeah, I, I mean, he still might be that. developing the cold. It's not going to set in until after the battle, because, you know. <laughs> you know, um, why didn't he have time? If, if, if they can speed up travel over geography, why can't they speed up incubation of diseases? Sickness, yeah, true. viruses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's all we need. Rapid uh, incubation and uh, uh, disease running their courses in uh, in quick time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I think I'm gonna say A, but I reserve the possibility to change my mind later on. Well, we do. We get that. We have yeah. that anyway. So. Yeah. But I think I'm gonna have to. In the end, I can't talk myself too firmly into any of the rest of them. I'm trying, but I'm failing today to talk myself out of the obvious answer. Um, Which is sad. Yeah. <laughs> Timothy says he plants it on Nori and then blames him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of love I like that it. idea. I like it. <laughs> that's yeah, that's okay. incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like that's a good that. theory. That's a good theory. Okay. Well, we have come to the end of our episode, and we've only uh, we're only half an hour over today, so that's a that's a benefit. Um, two um, two quick announcements before we go. Uh, MythMoot registration is almost ready. We have the registration form set up. We're all almost entirely ready to go. Just a couple more um, uh, bureaucratic matters to take care of there, and we will be opening MythMoot enrollment next week. So it, it is right. coming up. Um, uh, it is uh, it is it is nearly time, so we're very excited about that. The other thing uh, of uh, about which I'm very excited, we start our new Mythgard Academy class this coming Tuesday, and we are doing. Tolkien's Book of Lost Tales, Part 1. Um, so we are doing Volume 1 of the History of Middle-Earth series. If you have ever been curious about... Yeah, a lot of Tolkien fans, I think, have heard about, you know, the Book of Lost Tales and, you know, all this other early Silmarillion stuff. But I know a lot of people haven't read them, and I know that many people who do read them, even people who make it all the way through the Silmarillion, don't always make it through the History of Middle-Earth books. Um, you know, they're they're very much more sort of scholarly and off-putting with all these notes and everything else. And I know it can be, um, it can be kind of a project uh, to get through for a lot of people. So now is your chance. Now is your chance to sit down and work your way through this with us together. We're going to go, um, you know, we'll go through starting on Tuesday. We're going to look at the forward and chapter one, which is sort of the frame narrative um, uh, about the Cottage of Lost Play, um, with a bunch of, of Tolkien's early poetry thrown in. Um, so, um, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's where we're going there at the beginning. Um, 
uh, for Tuesday. And so it really should be a lot of fun. It, it, it'll really be a good opportunity if you've always been interested to learn more about Tolkien's writing process, where his ideas come from, how his world gets its start. If you've heard over the course of several years of podcast listening, you know, uh, me and other of my guests referring to things like um, you know, Tolkien wanting to write a mythology for England and all of that stuff, but you've, you've never really read about it and you want to learn more, this is, uh, this is a priceless opportunity for you to do that in a good supporting envir supportive environment uh, and to go through our discussions with us starting next Tuesday night. So that is what we are beginning. Um, uh, it is on the MythGuard website. Um, it is up now. It was put up uh, finally last night. Uh, significantly late as always. Um, but anyway, there it is. Um, so if you go to the MythGuard homepage, you will find it there on, under the Academy tab, or you can just click on the MythGuard Academy uh, in the quick links box on the right-hand side, and you will find um, uh, the new Book of Lost Tales page, which gives you the whole schedule and all the registration links uh, for our class sessions. Um, so, um, uh, so, so there we go. So you will be very much, uh, very much inv invited to join me on Tuesday. Very good. Well, thank you, Dave and Trish, for another fun discussion today. As always. Yeah. yeah. And thanks for listening, and Godspeed.